one message. Oh, okay. Good evening, everyone. Broadcasting live, October 3rd. I think it's the 3rd. I had a thought today. <clears throat> um, that, uh, oops. Perhaps these nine o'clock sessions could be a time where instead of looking at a quote from Buddha Vachana, we could look at a Dhammapada verse. And thereby continue the Dhammapada videos. It would mean doing a little more research before these sessions. A little more than zero because I don't do any I don't do any preliminary reading. So I'd have to find time for that. But that would be something I could schedule in during the day. It would mean using this background, though. I just put the camera right here, where this camera is, right behind it, or over to the left a little bit, and you'd be seeing this background. So I'd maybe move that filing cabinet and some of the stuff on the floor over there, just to make it, you know, look. It's over there, and then we got the white. So maybe something like that. Maybe that. What do you all think of that idea? Let us know. I like Upvotes, that idea. Welcome. Robin, you think that'd be a good idea? I do. Yeah. Now, would you start with the first verse, or would you start with the one where you had left off your series? It's a good question. Should we restart the series? No, I was thinking of just continuing, actually. Maybe it's something I could do every other day, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday or something. Something I can try to do every day, but maybe not do every day. We'll see. Something to try. But not tonight. Tonight we have a quote from the Sangyutta Nikaya. Kati lokas ming pajota yehi loko pakasati Bhagavantang putumagam katang jani mutang mayang. In the uh, Sangyutta Nikaya, the first section is called the Devata Sangyutta. It's the section where the Buddha gives lots of talks to angels. So every day, every night, the Buddha schedule. I can't remember the whole of the Buddha's schedule according to the commentaries, but at night he would lie down for four hours. And it's not clear that he actually slept at all. Maybe he slept one hour or something and the other three hours were spent. Maybe it was two hours and two hours were spent uh, conversing with the angels. 
So this is where we get the uh, the Mangala Sutta. Eva me sutangi kangsamayang bhagavasa watiyang viharati chetavane anatapindika saharame atako anyatra devata. And then, well, the Buddha was dwelling in Jetavana. And then an angel came down. Atako anyatra devata abhikantayaratiyata extreme part of the night. Kantavana abhikantavana gevalakapang abhikanta. Pikantang. I forget. We don't usually chant that part. My memory's going. Um, lit up the lit up the night. Lit up the whole of the of Jetavana with its extreme radiance. Abikantavanang with a great light, a great color. Jeto caused to be obasa, caused to be light. And then came down and asked the Buddha. So in the in the Mangala Sutta, it's Bahudeva Manusa Mangalani Ajinta Yung. Many angels and men have thought on Mangala. Mangala is, is things which um like charms, you could say something that does away with evil. Manga is is evil, and la means that which kills, that which wards off evil. So, like auspiciousness or lucky charm or um, a ward of some sort. Some people, some people believed in the Buddhist time that well, they believed in things like superstitions. And Buddha said many different things, so it was all like this: the Buddha, the the angel would ask a question, and the Buddha would answer it. So this is what we have here. It's a simple question: How many things shine in this world, by which the world is uh, is bright, becomes bright, is made visible? Speak and let me know, something like that. This happens to be another thing that we chant in the morning in Jamtong. Part of it, anyway. It's funny, we don't chant the first line, but some monk at some point put together a whole bunch of verses from the Tipitaka into one verse, and this is part of it. Tiwatapati adicho, the sun shines by day. Ratima bhati chandima, the moon shines by night. Actually, it's a bit different. The sun tapati means it burns. Well, shines, I guess, but it's a different kind of shine. Abati is a different kind of shines. Abati is to, because this, of course, the moon doesn't radiate by itself, the moon doesn't uh, burn. But tapati has to do with heat being like on fire ratima bhati chandima ata aghi oh no it's a bit different from the verse that we do ata aghi divarating the fires burn both at day and night tata tata bhakasati sambudo tapatang seto esa amba anuttara this is 
it, the verses are actually quite poetic if you listen to them. Sambuddho tapatang seto esa abha anuttara. Sambuddho tapatang sambuddho tapatang seto esa abha anuttara. This is the highest radiance, luster radiance. So that's basically the verse. Don't have to read it. I just went through it. There are four things that shine in the world. You will not find a fifth. Panchameta navijati. Won't find a fifth. Why? Because the Buddha shines with wisdom. In fact, the commentary says that he shined, so when you saw him, he would give off these six colors of radiance, which is where we get the six-colored flag in, in, I think they put it together in Sri Lanka. The sixth color is um, just brightness, or it's something white, maybe, I don't know. Actually, I think it was, um, wasn't it Anagarika Dhammapala that put together the flag? Anyway, that's what it's supposed to represent, as far as I understand but I think that's more of like an aura. So if someone who can see auras, you know how some people are able to see. But all you know, all you I think all you would get from the Buddha was this sense of peace, unless you could see auras. That an ordinary person would just see how peaceful he was, get a sense of his peace and his profound wisdom. So the Buddha shined through wisdom. It was his wisdom and his ability to dispel darkness what is the esabha uh, esabuddhabha this is the radiance of the buddha katama panasati what is that what would that be jnana loko jnana loko the light of wisdom or the light of rapture or the light of joy pasada could say joy tamakata or the light of his teaching of the dhamma sabopi buddhanang patubhava upano aloko all of these are our light that has arisen with the arising, from the arising, yeah, from the appearance of Buddhas. All of these all of these lights come into arise, come into being with the arising, with the appearance of Buddhas. So you have jnana, his his wisdom. His wisdom is a light unto the world. In a world of darkness where no one understands the noble truths, the truth of life, the truth of suffering, the Buddha comes into the world and shines that light. And also piti means his profound depth of, of power. Piti here, would I would say, encompasses all of his magical powers, all of his super mundane powers, all of his profound abilities and just his presence i guess you could say piti is like a static charge 
you went into the room with him, you could just feel the power emanating off of him. Some people can if you're really in tune with such things. Pasada is the joy or the... Well, piti and pasada often go together. Maybe composure, there's different meanings of pasada. Exactly what is meant here, I'm not, not quite sure. But his his greatness of peace, maybe, you could say. And Dhammakatha was his teaching of the Dhamma. The light of his knowledge is one thing, but how we understand it is when it's taught, when he actually taught the Dhamma, this is when we saw the light of, of, of the Buddha, the light of Asia, as Sir Edwin Arnold put it in his poem Buddha was the light of Asia light of the world we would say because his Dhamma lights up our lives you know, feel if anyone if you've practiced meditation it's it's like wiping the cobwebs or wiping the dirt off of the wind of a window or it's like waking up after a long sleep it's like the sun rising over the horizon. <laughs> Sorry, I get all poetic. But it really is. I mean, it's profound. It's like feeling that you were dead before. Before you meditated, it was like you were dead. When you meditate, it's like finally living, doing something, you know, making something of yourself. Getting on the track, getting your act together shining in the world, being a part of this light. So that's our quote for today. Questions? We have questions. I've seen your short video on standing meditation. I have found that I am falling asleep in sitting meditation and in walking meditation, I feel unable to walk slowly without feeling like I will fall over. Would it be okay to use standing instead of walking or sitting? Yes, it would be okay to do standing instead of walking or sitting. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't pay attention to these conditions in sitting or walking. I mean, that's part of the practice, is um, dealing with the situation, the conditions as they arise. So when you feel tired in sitting, you should say tired, tired. It's important to do. And when you walk, well, if you feel dizzy, you should stop. Stand still, but first you should acknowledge that feeling if it's still there, the feeling of dizziness or so on. But, but absolutely, you can do just standing meditation. And would they, that count for both the sitting and the walking, or should you do something to counteract it? Well, you can. I mean, if you're sitting and you feel tired, you can stand up and do walking. If you're walking and you're walking and you feel dizzy because you're um, probably because you're tired, you can just stand stand still and acknowledge the, the dizzy feeling or whatever. I have to wonder whether you're doing walking with your eyes closed because that's often a cause of of falling over. It's a sign that you haven't read my book carefully enough because I'm pretty sure the book says walking meditation is with your eyes open.
During meditation, I often find myself unable to note thinking as it arises, because once I become aware of the thinking in its past, it is, it is in the past. This is a bit confusing. It's not quite a question, but um, what should I do, I guess, is the question. Um, yeah, well, you can just acknowledge knowing, knowing. Or you can just acknowledge thinking. I mean, the point is that you remind yourself it's just thinking. You know, it wasn't good, it wasn't bad. It was what it was. So your mind gets objective again. But knowing as well works. If you just want to remind yourself, okay, this is just knowing, I'm not going to go anywhere with it. I know this, and that's it. I mean, stay up with it. The thinking's gone, forget about it. Acknowledge that the knowing is one way of doing it. I've read that there are meditators that can note 40 times a second. Is this true? Yeah, I don't know why they'd try to. It sounds recipe for disaster. Is it unwholesome to watch horror movies? Not if you're saying seeing, seeing the whole time. Otherwise, yeah, probably. I wouldn't worry, wouldn't sweat too much about it, though. I mean, that's not like killing someone or it's a rather benign sort of unwholesomeness, but it is unwholesome. And if you're doing a meditation course, you probably should stop. Bhante, you were once asked about devas in meditation. Forgive me if I have made a false judgment, but you seemed doubtful of such interactions, at least in the experience of people you have met. Do you take a literalist understanding of the existence of devas or no? I do. I take a literalist understanding of the existence of devas. But that doesn't mean I believe people actually see them. I believe some people see devas, but not many. And I think most of the people who claim to have seen devas are just crazy or, no, mostly not some crazy, but mostly um delusional which you know i mean that it's not it's not how we normally use the word delusional but we can delude ourselves like uh, i always think of this story everyone's talking about ghosts how they hear ghosts see ghosts but it usually turns out to be just something they interpret to be a ghost one night when i was a kid i was staying in our house in the forest we live in lived in 200 acres of forest my parents were away and I was the only one at home. I'm not that timid. I mean, I was afraid of, afraid of the dark and monsters just like any other kid, but not overly so, you know. I mean, everyone's afraid of, of that kind of thing, but uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't terrible. So I was okay staying at home and I was at the back of the house upstairs. And our, our stairs are made of wood. The house was built in the forest out of wood. So the stairs were like... Um, uh, just planks of wood going up. So when you walk on them, they made noise, a little bit of noise. You know, it wasn't carpet and it, well, there was nothing underneath them, so it kind of gave a little bit of noise. And uh, suddenly in the middle of the night, it was a dark and kind of stormy night. Well, it was dark, of course, but it was it was stormy. And suddenly there was this sound, boom, of, a, of wood hitting, of something hitting wood by the stairs and I knew it was coming from the stairs but it was like this boom 
boom boom it was it sounded exactly like someone was walking was stomping up the stairs it sounded exactly as it would when we would stomp up the stairs like really loudly like really angrily stomp up the stairs <laughs> and i knew there was no one in the house it was just me imagine the the, the, the sheer terror of suddenly having this noise uh, and it was real i wasn't dreaming it was there was no question i couldn't figure it out and i was stayed all night you know afraid and i don't know eventually i must have fallen asleep or maybe it stopped never came up the stairs never got me and i figured it out in the morning there was there were the, the shutters because over the stairs there was a window and and there was one this window above had been left open and the shutter was banging against the wall <laughs> that's all it was anyway so i always think of that like absolutely certain that you know what else could it be and it was something else Bonte, how important is patience in buddhism any thoughts of wisdom thank you very important patience the buddha said kanti patience is the highest form of austerity we talk about austerity torturing yourself in the time of the buddha it was a big thing you must have heard about how they tortured themselves and the buddha tortured himself for six years because they figured if you torture yourself you you uh, give up any desire for sense pleasure this is what they figured because the one the one side everyone was indulging in sense pleasure so they figured if you do the opposite it would burn up all the defilements you just torture yourself until you give up desire that was the theory it's kind of a ridiculous theory but you can see how it would philosophically make some sense because you got the one extreme well, let's go to the other extreme to get rid of it that's why the buddha taught the middle way and but because he was teaching in that milieu in that in that environment and people were talking about these sorts of things he uh, he pointed out, he used this very profound, bold statement at the time, which maybe misses something in today's um, climate because we're, we're not accustomed to torturing ourselves, but it was a big thing. So it, our austerity, we weren't, we weren't accustomed to austere religious practice. We aren't today. Certain Christians, early medieval Christians, I think, would be familiar with this. But the Buddha said the highest form of austerity is patience, forbearance good things come and you just stay with them bad things come and you just stay with them not reacting not chasing after the good ones but not running away from the bad ones not trying to change them not trying to make them go away not trying to make them stay not trying to make them last it's called anulomika kanti anuloma is an interesting word it means going with the grain it means uh, in line with reality so uh when you experience reality, we're normally not going with the grain in the sense of being with the reality. We're veering off, causing problems, liking and disliking, judging, identifying, attaching, that kind of thing. So anulomika means going in line, in line with the truth, just seeing it as it is. follow-up on the Dewa's question. Rather, do you take the Dhamma's discussion of Dewa's literally? Yes. 
mostly. Some of it I think might be exaggerated or might be a later edition. I don't know. I mean, who am I to say? But that's all historic fact. Historic facts are not, we don't have to dispute. Did it happen like this? Did it happen like that? What we should dispute is whether angels actually exist. And I believe they do. It doesn't affect my practice whether they do or don't, not particularly, but it makes sense to me. And I've just had too many people say they do to make me think they're all lying. Maybe they are. Maybe they're deluded. Doesn't make a big difference to me. If I go to a movie, should I note seeing the whole time? Yes. Absolutely. Good luck. I would like to have astral, astral travels. Is this achievable by meditation? Have you read my booklet? We don't teach that sort of meditation. Yes, it is, but you'll have to go elsewhere. I'm sorry to say. It is, is it acceptable to stretch one's muscles or is it considered an attachment to health? If you saw a monk doing stretches, would you consider that wrong practice? Yes. Yeah. I mean, to some extent, to some extent you can you can justify it. I mean, depends on the person. Suppose you broke your leg. There are stretches that you have to do or else your leg is going to not heal properly, apparently. So there I think it's justified. I think even obviously for a monk that's very much justified. But people who do yoga stretches and so on, yes, I believe that that's wrong practice. I'm sorry to say it's not wrong practice in the sense like you're going to go to hell or it's unwholesome. It's just, um, it's, not the, it's not the path. You know, there's a difference between what is the path to, to freedom from suffering, what is not the path. Stretching is not the path. It's another path. It's the yoga path. But they're not the same. And that's, that's highly contentious because a lot of people are going to dispute me. I'll probably get this video downvoted for just for saying that. That's fine. Everyone has their opinion, but there's no reason to do that kind of stretching. Why? Because the detriment is that it it um, it cultivates this sense of 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 pleasure, you know, and sort of a sense of of power. You know, I am in a sense of self, which is why Hinduism, the spirituality in Hinduism, is so associated with self. You're doing something. You are creating some state. You are healing. You are uh, fixing. You are, you know, can, you know, this whole kind of becomes an obsession about your 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 um, your soul, yourself, healing, and so on. It's just a different concept. In Buddhism, it's like sit there. It hurts. Well, suck it up. <laughs> it's a whole different philosophy. This is why Kanti Paramangta Bodhitika. You can suck it up. So when I ask you, what is Buddhism? Suck it up. Maybe not suck it up. That's probably a bad one. This is why patience is the highest virtue. Mm -hmm. Can, you <laughs> Can you share with us some of the common corrections or don't do that instructions that you give to meditators during your one-on-one -on -one meetings? Thank you. Well, I put out an FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. You might want to read that, but otherwise, no. You'll have to, you'll have to have a, get, make an appointment to find out. I don't know. I mean, it would, that would take brain power, and it's late. 
How are the one-on-one -on -one meetings going? Is the the new um the I awesome. keep forgetting the name of it RFT? No, we're not using that anymore. We're using Google Hangouts. Oh, just using Hangouts. Okay, so good. When, when the time comes, a link, a button pops up saying, create a Hangout or enter Hangout or something, start a Hangout. And they click on that and it starts a special Google Hangout that invites me. It doesn't invite me, it's, it recommends them to invite me and they click yes or invite or something and then we're on our way, which is awesome because I don't have to go anywhere. I get a call. It's basically, it's almost like I get a phone call when they're ready. It's been delayed sometimes with people don't quite understand what's happening, but how it works. But mostly, and once people figure it out, it's pretty smooth. So I think that's the way to go. I'm glad to hear that everything's working out. I mean, if we could program our own version and figure it all out, that would that would be the best. But right now we can't rival Google Hangouts. Is it harmful to meditate with a full stomach after eating? Do walking meditation. After eating, you should always, always, always do walking meditation. Because that helps you, the Buddha even said, helps you digest food. It's true, it does. Walking meditation would be great. Not sitting meditation. Doctors do not recommend that you sit after you eat. It's very hard on your digestion. It causes sicknesses, apparently. As one doctor was saying, why all these these old monks get sick and, and get all these diseases? It's because they sit after they meditate. They go and sit in meditation. I was thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> Mostly they just sleep after they eat. I shouldn't say that, but it's true. That's the problem. Is There's a lot of sleeping going on after you eat. Monks eat because they only eat one big meal, and then there's a real temptation to just go to sleep, which is a bad idea. It's even worse than sitting. You lie down and sleep after you've eaten. Just sits in your stomach. People say that, a lot of people I've heard have been saying that when meat especially sits in your stomach, it really causes harm to your body. I don't know. Sometimes I think people think too much about food. Does it have anything to do with trying to eat more because you won't be eating later in the day? I mean, to some extent, yeah, you are eating more than most people would for lunch. I mean, an ordinary person's lunch isn't enough for me, for sure. I agree that psychedelic substances don't offer a lasting and rea reality-based change on the mind, but don't you think it motivates people to start a con contemplative life? Sure, I'll go with that, yeah. I mean, the one problem you could say is that the whole experience is a, is tangled up in delusion because you're not really, you know, I had this experience with the gods, like multiple, there were 10 or 12 gods coming into my head and taking control one after another. One of them was the Viking god, had the god of pointy helmets, and they were talking to each other and they were telling each other what to do. I mean, it was really insane and this was mushrooms. And I was just sitting there. If you saw me, it would just be me sitting there giggling and, and oh my God, what are they doing now? Uh, there was another time where I was lying and I, I thought of the, the sky was, was the father. And my brother picked me up after school and I had just taken shrooms, uh, mushrooms. And, uh, and, and when he picked me up, I was smiling already, right? 
And he said, why are you smiling? I said, I just did mushrooms. And he said, oh man, Bubby's coming. Bubby's our grandmother, right? Bubby came, Bubby's, Bubby's here. We're going to see Bubby right now. Said, okay, so we drove back and he said, look, you, I'll stall them. You, you know, get this, get your trip over with and come and see us later. And so that's what I did. I just lay outside and the, the, this heaven was the father and the earth was the mother and they were fighting over me. I was, of course, very important in the whole cosmic battle, and they were fighting. I mean, it's you know ego for you can see, to say the least. I mean, a whole bunch of delusion. It's none of it's true. It's all just you not. Know, so that I think is a is an argument you could make against them, that uh, they potentially do open your mind up. But if your mind's full of crap, opening it up isn't really all that helpful i mean the final time i did mushrooms it was terrible afterwards i was paranoid and i felt like my mind had pulled away from my body it was really what turned me off of drugs in general something i don't know if they were laced with something or what but it really felt like it damaged my mind and i think there's that as well that these are chemicals and you know it's not like god said oh let's put these mushrooms down here and so that people will eat them and have profound spiritual experiences that will open their mind this is the problem we run into especially because hey they're natural they grow in nature yeah well so does nightshade i mean just because a mushroom grows in the forest doesn't mean eating it is going to have any positive effect on you, you know that it's a good thing beer is natural you know to some extent so we fall into that and the idea that that you know even though we don't believe in god we've been raised by this so we have the sense that nature is is good for example or 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 any such thing you know the idea that these drugs acid lsd you know that it it uh, opens the doors of perception well it's a chemical i mean when we pour gasoline in our head and see what happens i mean it, there's not it's not clear that what these things are doing to us is actually um, beneficial. You know, in fact, it, I mean, I don't know. I guess they've done lots of studies on them, so maybe they know more than I do. But I just remember that I, I really felt like it affected my brain. It probably did. Probably had some some sort of effect of maybe even scarring my brain. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's extreme. But for months, literally months, I was felt like I wasn't in reality. Yeah, it was a day. It was a twenty-four-seven occurrence. So I was just lost. Anyway, point being, it's it's not. I don't think drugs are all they're cut out to be, and that's having taken them and having having experienced those profound experiences. This was all after I had what really, I think, set me on the path was a profound experience of reading the Tao Te Ching. I mean, compare it with that, with reading the words of someone who obviously had some attainment, some understanding. And just, I read one page of that book and it hit me like a ton of bricks. And that's real. I mean, it was, it was limited. I couldn't figure out what to do with it. But that, that is where it's at. All the drugs, I, I, it wasn't for me. And from what I've experienced, I don't think it's what people say it is, what people think it is. 
I mean, I think what I'd say is that people who are attracted to those things are the same people who should be attracted, who would be attracted to spirituality. So they don't need to do the drugs. They just have to get it through their heads that that's chemicals. It's not enlightenment. It's not wisdom. You know, I mean, it's kind of these people think they're so great, but well, we think we who do that think we're so great, but. We're, we're not much different from these people who pop a pill to try to cure their depression or, or anxiety or so on, you know? I mean, not to look down on anyone, but neither one is really the solution. Or you know, we think, oh, this is a spiritual journey. No, it's not. It's like taking antidepressants or something. You're trying to cure a mental problem with a physical solution. And, and, and more than that, you're trying to solve a complex problem with a simple solution. And okay, you're saying it's not, you agree that it doesn't solve the problem. Does it help the problem? I think I've outlined some of my concerns as to why I think it may not be as helpful as people think it is. They're just ideas. I don't have, well, I do kind of have conclusions, but it's not, not entirely solid. A clarification on the yoga stretches question. He meant a quick stretch of each muscle when one wakes up. Is this acceptable? Well, I'm not going to come to your house and scold you for it. And if you're meditating here, well, I'd probably tell you don't bother. But I wouldn't say, no, if you do that, we're going to kick you out. I would say, not worth it. You know, and I guess what I would say, if you want to do stretches... Well, first I'd ask, why do you want to do stretches? I think how we could approach this is ask, why do you want to do stretches? And the answer would probably be, it, it, it makes you feel better in some way. You wouldn't say it like that, but you'd say it fixes this or it does that or it enhances this or that, which is really just clever speak for saying it makes it easier and helps me avoid some pain and some stress or suffering or unpleasantness. I mean, I don't think you could argue that stretches improve like um, cardiovascular health or digestive health. You know? If you could, then maybe you'd have an argument, small argument, and I still wouldn't be that convinced. But I don't see how stretches can really help. And, and moreover, they are a part of this avoidance of the natural state. Because really, if you just do natural meditation with patience as you're as your mainstay, it's the best stretch you could ever have. Your whole body is pulled and pushed and you get tense and you have to deal with excruciating pain and so on. And once you live through it, your body becomes fluid and relaxed. Like as though you never need to stretch again. I mean, I can do, not to brag, but it's a common thing. I can do the, the, the full lotus for like an hour and I never stretched. I never, never worked at it. I just did lots and lots of meditation. And after a while, it's like, oh, look, I can do the full lotus position. Why do visions of images or past lives appear at profound meditation? Because you have strong concentration. I mean, they don't often occur in our tradition, but uh, if you're practicing certain types of meditation, it's possible for your mind to go back, to poke through and get an old memory. 
Is it possible to do vipassana without saying the mantra? Not in our tradition. But there are traditions that don't use the mantra. We don't, we frown upon that. No, we don't frown really. For lay people, do we live in a world of abundance or scarcity? Sometimes we develop delusions of greed. Is it okay to note abundance? I don't think you get how this noting thing works. You note experiences. You experience seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, and drinking. You, you experience the four satipatthana. And the four satipatthana are our practice. So you should be noting only the four satipatthana because that's all there really is. Abundance is something that, that occurs to you in your mind. It's a thought or it's a judgment. You judge there to be abundant or you judge there to be scarcity. That's a judgment. So you should say judging, judging, or better yet, just thinking, thinking. And when the idea to ask me this question comes up, you should say wondering, wondering, let it go. Although it's, you know, it's important. It's an important question if you really do if you think like that then you have to really clear up what it is exactly that we're noting so I don't mean to make light of your question I'm glad you asked because it's important to clear that up now you can't acknowledge abundance it's not something you experience are there any monks in your sangha critical on the literally archaic rules regarding times to eat especially since morning begging is not a part of your daily life at least I hope it's not Monks don't beg. We're not allowed to beg. Begging is forbidden for monk for Buddhist monks, Theravada Buddhist monks. Critical of the literally archaic rules. What do you mean archaic rules? What's so archaic about eating only in the morning? What, the morning has changed from two thousand five hundred years ago. Our bodies have changed. To, what's wrong with eating only in the morning? I had seen lay people complain, but they do not live it. There's nothing archaic about just eating in the morning. And I'd be a, it'd be awesome if I could go on alms round, but I don't know where I'd go. There's really nowhere to go unless I went to the Thai restaurant in Dundas, but they invited me. But I'm not entirely convinced that they are... I don't know. I'd probably do well to, as they say in Thai, brot means... It's a funny way of saying it because broad means you please them, sort of, but it, it has it has more connotations of saving them or uh, uh, rescuing them. My going to take food from them is 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 considered to be good for them, so I brought them. Brought yat yom. That's how they say it, which is very kind of them to think like that. Um, so that's how they would say it. Yeah, you should go and brought yat yom, brought them, and uh, rescue them. I mean, hey, if I had monks come to my house as a lay person, right? Who doesn't want monk Buddhist monks to come and and to take your food away? There's a riddle. There was a riddle in the uh, in the Mahamagga Jataka the great tunnel, the Jataka that I said everyone should read. He says, uh, this angel asks, this riddle, four riddles, 
and no one can answer them. And the angel says, if you don't answer this riddle, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut your head off. Uh, but it, the angel actually is a very nice, very kind angel. It would never do that. But it, uh, because the king has kicked Mahosada out of the kingdom. Mahosada is the bodhisattva, and he's he's the why he's the only one with any brain in the whole palace or amongst the king and his advisors. The king has four other advisors, and they're all boneheads. And the king himself is is the worst of the bunch. He has no wisdom whatsoever. He's 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 a previous incarnation of Laludai. Laludai is a monk in the Buddha's time who was who was like a simpleton or a fool, who does lots of funny things, lots of of silly things. Uh, but he, when he was a king, the Bodhisattva was his his guy. And and so the angel asked the first first one is, um, I can only remember two of them. But the first one is, he. He beats her. He he beats her with his fists, and yet she loves him like no other. Who is he? Robin. I wasn't expecting that. Um, <laughs> give me a moment. The Bodhisattva got it. I don't think they were all that difficult. I mean, they're 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 quite not something we would ordinarily think about. Her son, her baby's her baby boy. Oh, okay. Because he'll cry and beat, but she'll never ever hate him. And then there's a couple of more, a couple more of them. And the final one is uh, every day they come and and and. And and take away their belongings, and yet they are dear to the people. They take they come every they come daily to take people's belongings away, and to take from people's possessions or something. And yet they are dear to everyone. And these are the the say the recklesses. Would have been the Hindu or not Hindu, but the the ascetics who live in the forest, because they would come every day, and people would give them food and and support them, but they were still so respected and, and appreciated for their wisdom and their teachings and their their spirituality. I mean, I think some, sometimes people even just like the idea of having, you know, of supporting this kind of practice. That's what we sometimes argue, is that even if a monk goes and lives off into the forest, who wouldn't want to support them doing that, right? Some people would say, well, they're selfish, they're just... I say, let them do it, you know? I mean, what do we do with meditators when they come? Meditator comes for 10 days, 20 days, we support them because we think, wow, what a great thing they're doing. Why wouldn't we think that of a monk? I think a lot of many people do. They're just happy to support this person. Do you think Lousy was a protector? Pachaka Buddha. I'm sorry, I'm not pronouncing anything correctly tonight. It's okay, he didn't spell it right now. <laughs> Lao Tzu. Maybe you could say Lao Tzu, I don't know. Maybe there's another way of spelling it. Usually we see Lao Tzu. Um, yes, I do. I've said that before.
Oh, bad misconception here. The emperor of ice cream thought the reasoning behind it was because alms were given in the morning scraps from last dinner. I don't think leftovers can be given for alms, can they? Oh, yeah. Why not? Can. See, you have to remember you don't have any rules. The Buddha didn't lay down rules for lay people. Very few. You could say the five precepts and some duties. People take it too far. Obviously, if you, if you, I know how you feel, and and that's that's very kind of you that you don't want to. But I think we have to be careful not to get too into you know, protocol, right? But I guess you could argue that that's a protocol I was talking about earlier, like not putting Ajahn Tong's picture on on a subway card. You know, it's like why not? But well, it's not according to protocol, or not putting Dhamma books on the floor, that kind of thing. Not serving monks leftovers, but it was done. And the, the monks were, were more than happy to receive leftovers. There was one uh, Ratapala, uh, awesome. The Ratapala Sutta is a must-read for anyone who's thinking about becoming a monk. Ratapala becomes a monk, and he comes back to his home, and they don't recognize him because they really didn't want him to become a monk. So... Um, he goes, he goes up to the house and, he, and they don't give him alms because they think, oh, this is one of those monks who took our son away. And so he goes away and as he's walking away, he sees the servant of the home throwing out last night's porridge, like, like stale porridge, which actually was rancid, I think. I think the sutta says this because it would have milk in it and the milk had gone bad. And he says to the, the, the servant, uh, you know, look, if you're throwing that away, what, would you be able to just put it in my bowl? <laughs> and so the slave says, sure, I can do that. And you know, pours it into his bowl. And as she's pouring into his bowl, or he, the servant, recognizes a birthmark or something on Ratapala's hand and realizes this is Ratapala. And goes back and tells the family, and the story goes on. It's a sutta worth reading. But the point is, as monks, we don't discriminate. Um, of course, as lay people, you they often do discriminate and they only want to give the best. But it can lead, the, the problem here is it can lead to people um, feeling like it's a burden to give. Like over time, they feel, oh, I can't give because I only got leftover food or I can't give because I don't have the best. You know, it gets to the point where it's obsessive, where it only has, it has to be a certain type of food. Um, well, the monk I was living in Sri Lanka, he was always complaining. Well, he complained a few times about this. He said, they have such good food here. They have all these different kinds of food, but they'll never give it to the monks. Because when you give to a monk, you have to give a certain type of food. So it's true. Every day we would get almost the same same food again and again and again, because that's what they're supposed to give to the monks. When in fact, they had all other kinds of food that they would never think. Like bread, he said. <laughs> mm. They would never give bread to the monks because you give rice to the monks. I mean, why? We don't know, but that's the tradition. Funny things like that. Like Aruna was kind of like that. Uh, I don't, I think, I'm not quite sure where he was coming from, but he said, uh, he said, well, there's only a couple of places in the area that have rice. And I said, why would you think I, I need rice? I'm not from Asia. It was, it's just bizarre. It was like when I came to California, I was staying in North Hollywood for a couple of years, and I went back to Thailand and talking to my supporters there, and there was, America, where are you going to find Thai food? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, how am I going to live in North America if there's no Thai food? 
It's kind of funny because it's kind of like this. You only give monks certain food. So a monk never gets a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'm taking it. When was the last time I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? I can't remember. It seems to me I did, actually. Someone made me a peanut butter sandwich for some reason. Maybe Meghna did. Meghna, I think, made me some peanut butter sandwiches once. can't remember. That's good. How should one approach struggling to breathe through the nose? Can meditation be just as effective whilst breathing through the mouth? Absolutely, yeah. We're not focusing on the breath. We're focusing on the stomach. It's easier to breathe through your nose. Your mouth dries up, right, if you breathe through your mouth too much. Well, it's perfectly possible. I remember when we were doing, um, when I did my first course, everybody got sick, and so our noses were running. And in the beginning, we were sniffing and sniffing and blowing and blowing, but eventually we're just like, whatever, and close our, have our mouth closed and just let the, <laughs> let it, let the snot just go down. That's hardcore, hardcore meditators. Like our Visuddhi Maga section on snot. I couldn't believe we had an actual section on snot. Not what you signed up for, right? I think it's exactly what I signed up for. <laughs> when I meditate, sometimes I feel disconnected from my body. Is this insight into anatta? No. No, but it's an anatta experience. The experience itself is anatta. In other words, it's not you experiencing it. It's just an experience that arises and ceases. You didn't cause it. I mean, the part that is anatta that you might get, but it's not intellectual, so you don't have to think about it, is you'll get a sense of these things happening on their own, right? But anatta is when you see it again and again, and you start to really realize, hey, these things are happening on their own. I'm not controlling any of this, and then you let go. <laughs> Does the Tao Te Ching speak of something that sounds like Nibbana? Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the Tao is another word for Nibbana. Venerable Yutadama, to what extent should one seek social justice? To the extent that it's wholesome and to the extent that it supports and doesn't interfere with one's practice because even wholesomeness can a mundane wholesomeness can get in the way of the practice if it's undertaken too much if it's uh, obsessed over would you recommend to try to meditate for a whole weekend without supervision sure um, it is dangerous once you set that up for yourself. You have to be fairly level-headed because you know if you've once you've you've committed yourself, that's when you might push yourself too hard and fall into problems. You can get on the wrong path. Best is to start out if you're doing intensive practice. Best is to start out with a teacher, but some people do just fine. <coughs> but there are dangers. <coughs> associated with it.
How does realizing uncontrollability go along with things that seem to be controllable, like the simple choice to move the body? A mystery, isn't it? You have to meditate and find out. And in the meantime, somehow the website went back to the normal size. It's not all stretched out anymore. So that is good. I deleted it. I deleted that chat. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's a shame there isn't an easier way. Something, uh, websites are so complicated. Figuring out why things do things the way they do. Have to find someone. To this way. Hmm. Yeah, we'll just have to delete anything like that. I have delete power. I could give you delete power. I could add you to It's very simple. What's your username? Robin. Is that your username? Are you Robin? I am, yes. So if I add you, then you'll see little X's beside each chat, and you can delete a chat if you want. Okay, thank you. I can do that right now. Open... Mute the demo. Okay, you should now have, if you refresh the page, you should now have X's. Hopefully. Anyway, maybe that's enough for tonight. I don't actually see X's. But you don't? Is your name really Robin? It really is. Capital R? Yes, just capital R-O-B-I-N. You should refresh, refresh the page. I did. There's no X's on the right side beside the hands? No. Hmm. That's okay. Maybe I have to log oh, out. Oh, probably I didn't set it for admin. I set it for Yutadamo. So it's only looking at my username. Let's see here. Yeah, logged user is Yutadamo. That's not correct. Let me see if I can fix that. Hmm. Okay, try it now. Ah, uh, there it is. Yeah. 
And it works too. Thank you. You're now admin, which has a few perks, but not too many. Okay, if anyone ever makes a really long word and stretches out the, the web page again, I can take care of it. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Bante. Good night. See you all Good tomorrow. Night. Study group tomorrow. Tomorrow at 1 p.m., Robin's gone. We'll have study groups. So that's through Mumble. You can visit our Facebook page, our Facebook group, study group with Utadamo, I think is what it's called, something like that. Anyway, good night, everyone.